0: Ladies and gents, Chris Meti here at Sound Conversations Podcast. I'm very excited for this episode. We have a special guest and a friend of mine, John Prentice. John and I met a few years ago in Seattle, Washington, and quickly realized we had mutual interest in both technology and finance. John currently works at Lighter Capital, which he started in August 2014. There, he supports company-wide customer acquisition efforts and strategic growth plans for the San Francisco Bay Area market. John helps source and assess early-stage technology startups and educates them on Lighter Capital's revenue-based financing model compared to traditional equity and debt financing. Prior to joining Lighter Capital, John worked for two years in the San Francisco Bay Area at Simmons AG Venture Units, including Simmons Technology to Business and Simmons Venture Capital, working in various analyst capacities with a particular focus on energy and clean technology. John sourced early-stage startups for investment and partnerships, conducted market analysis, as well as due diligence, and made strategic recommendations to the company's C-level executives. Now, this is a huge accomplishment because, as you'll find out, Simmons is one of the largest companies in the world. A proud Washington State native, John graduated cum laude from the University of Puget Sound in 2012 with a BA in business and German international affairs, and was also a member of the college's uh, honor business program. Please welcome John Prentice to Sound Conversations Podcast. I have been a rich man and I have been a poor man and I choose rich every fing time. Don't be one of those people 20 years from now are gonna be walking around in a nine to five job, miserable and angry and bitter. Welcome to Sound Conversations. Welcome to Sound Conversations Podcast and uh I just want to start with some rapid-fire questions to uh, get the conversation going. Uh, first question is, what do you consider your greatest achievement?
1: Um, so I'm born and
0: raised Seattleite,
1: family's been here three generations. I moved to San Francisco for a short time, worked and lived in the Bay Area, and I feel like my greatest achievement to date has been able to come back to Seattle, find a really great opportunity at Lighter Capital, um, really amazing company. So that's been a really great achievement. Just be back home and have worked for an amazing company.
0: That's amazing. Wow. Um, you are a th- th- third generation Seattle. Uh, I think that's pretty rare in, yeah. <laughs> in today's Seattle. So, um uh, that's amazing. How did your family get to Seattle? Where, where did they come from? So I do have some family members on my mom's side that
1: literally came across in the Oregon trail covered wagon. Oh, wow. Sort of thing. Okay. Um, they had actually an apple orchard in eastern Washington, one of the largest apple orchards in East Washington. Um, and then on my dad's side, um, his father were, they were uh, Scottish uh, lumberjacks. So they came across from Scotland to Nova Scotia and essentially logged their way across the country, wow. almost western point and um, logged out in uh, Snohomish, Washington,
0: out in that area in Mount Pilchuck. I'm familiar with Mount Pilchuk from hiking uh, throughout the years that I've lived in Seattle. It's a beautiful area to live. And Um, then um, on
1: the other side of my dad's, um, he immigrated from Bulgaria, hmm. I think in about the 1920s, or it might have been before the First World War. Mm -hmm. um, Came over from Bulgaria to New York City through Ellis Island um, when he was 12, and he got a job on the railroad. Wow. And then same thing, worked his way across the country to literally the most Western point of the railroad.
0: <laughs> wow. I mean, these are some very pioneering people. We talk about the yeah. pioneering spirit. We've we've had that conversation before with uh, the Sound Conversation podcast guest, Ryan. But uh, what you're describing is the true fundamental pioneers of our country that are coming through the East all the way to the West whether it's railroading. That's amazing. Do you feel like that passion and that uh pursuit of the spirit spirit. Do you think that's uh, transferred to you as a younger generation, three generations ago?
1: Yeah. I like to
0: myself as more entrepreneurial and okay. more interested
1: in kind of entrepreneurial pursuits. Nice. Um, and I think when you have that sort of experience in your family, it's something
0: that's passed down through, you know, multiple generations. Very cool. Okay. Um, so what's your idea of the perfect happiness? Perfect happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think finding
1: balance in life, right? You have a job that's fulfilling, sort of a job that you enjoy, work that's interesting, it's intellectually stimulating, um, but you also have time for other activities in your life, right? You have a great family, you have a rich social life, you can get outside, enjoy the amazing nature. Um, I think that's that's my uh, idea of a
0: happy place. Happy place, oh, very cool. Um, and that is actually something that I've uh, consistently over the years... Uh, wrestled with to to try to find that balance, right, between work, social life, uh, friends, family. And one of the challenges that I've had is, you know, at any one point, one of those things is going to have more of my attention than the other thing, right? And so I've been trying to use, um, you know, techniques like mindfulness and reflective, uh, thinking to, uh, uh, to try to better balance that out instead of having one outweigh the others. Uh, any tips and tricks or suggestions on how to balance out the, the load?
1: <laughs>
0: Something I'm still trying to learn and practice myself. So.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, for me, exercise is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, just having that kind of time to yourself and kind of, for me, it's where it kind of recharges the batteries. Mm. Um, so that's been very important for me as far as kind of balance and maintaining balance in my life awesome. and also realizing the importance of friendships and relationships, right? Um, how meaningful those connections are.
0: Yeah, they are. Yeah, absolutely. When, when it comes to exercising, do you, um, go to the gym, lift weights, do cardio, or do you do classes of some sort of like CrossFit or some, some sport like tennis or basketball? What do you do? Um, yeah,
1: weights, cardio, and then love getting outside whenever possible. Okay. Love to get outside and hike.
0: Nice. Okay. Top 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 hiking spot is it? Is it a public? Uh, is it a public spot that people will know about, or is this a private John uh, John spot that uh, is off the beaten trail? Well, I mean, if you don't want to go too far outside of
1: Seattle, I think Discovery Park is great. It's everybody, everybody knows that. Um, other spots that are great. Um, so just off I ninety, mm-hmm. um, the middle fork of the Sequoia. That area is really awesome. Um, obviously, Mailbox Peak, yeah, notorious hike um, <laughs> and very challenging. Very challenging, <laughs> maybe the hardest day hike you can do in the Puget Sound. Um, although I'll say the new trail is not as hard as the old trail. Um, it used to go straight up and it was something like two and a half miles and four thousand feet of elevation gain or something crazy. So <laughs> yeah, um, but around there there's some really great hikes. Um, just along the middle fork, the me and there's some different kind of trails you can shoot off to, um, and it's great because it's only 45 minutes away. You know, 30, 45 minutes
0: away. Yeah, that's amazing. So when you're when you uh, get up to the top, do you have a ritual of any sort that you do? Uh, I've heard people uh, in the past, and I may have done this as well, <laughs> is uh, pop a beer can uh, or a bottle. Uh, do you have a ritual for for your uh, when you do get up to the top of Millbox Um, Hmm. I don't think I've ever brought up a beer. That's a good <laughs> idea. I'm, like, I'm going to give that one a try. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like to sit
1: and kind of enjoy the view and hang out. You know, usually I'm doing it with friends or yeah. family. So.
0: Nice. Well, I, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful pursuit to get out in nature and, and go f- get fresh air, get out of the city for a little bit. For those that don't, are not familiar with the Seattle's Discovery Park. It's in the Magnolia neighborhood. It's an absolutely gorgeous, mm. scenic park with uh, uh, trails that lead up to the Sound, uh, the Puget Sound, which gives you uh, gorgeous views of the area. It's an absolutely beautiful place. Um, so here's a question. What is your current state of mind right now as we're enjoying <laughs> well, <laughs> adult beverages at yeah, the Washington considering Florida I'm uh, <laughs> half of a uh, whiskey soda <laughs> pretty relaxed and good. Okay.
1: Uh, happy to be here and uh, enjoying the conversation.
0: Awesome, uh, that's good. Um, you've mentioned your work with Light of Capital and that is a tech, um, fintech company, maybe? Yeah. You could classify it as a fintech or a financial technology
1: company, okay. um, for those that are not as familiar or, or even a specialty finance company.
0: Specialty finance company. Okay. And in your, in your working, uh, career, you've, um, you've had other positions and other work. What, what's been your favorite occupation? Has it been your work at Light of Capital or something else you've done? Um, I worked in another company prior to this, um, large company,
1: Siemens, German multinational. I worked with in their corporate venture group. Um, also very interesting work, different kind of style, I mean, large company, I mean, one of the largest companies in the world. Okay. Um, so a lot of capital has been great because it's, um, we are funding other entrepreneurs, but we ourselves are a startup. We are a venture backed startup, which I think is a really unique company. Um, it makes it a lot of fun, presents a lot of challenges too. Um, so it's definitely, I would say that's probably been um, one of the more interesting places that I've worked professionally or
0: seen professionally. So for for people that may not be familiar with the terminology, what does venture-backed mean?
1: Yeah. So venture-backed means you are a startup that has raised venture capital, right? Sure. So you have received, you're an early stage company, um, so you're probably, you know, under 20, 30 million in revenue, right? Um, and you've successfully raised capital from a um, institutional
0: fund. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the current letter capital. And, and before it sounds like you were for a, a global company. Mm-hmm. So you're going from one side of the spectrum, uh, large global company to a startup, mm-hmm. um, tell our, our listeners how, why, why make that leap from a global company, uh, to a startup? Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's a good question.
1: Um, you know, I, I decided I didn't necessarily want to be a large company person. I think you can have a really great career at a large company. Um, you can work your way up through the ranks, you know, get to an executive level, um, very great lifestyle, great benefits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, something that wasn't necessarily for me, I guess I was marched in something more entrepreneurial mm-hmm. where I feel like I had more kind of control of my own path. destiny, I would say I ever kind of aspired to work at a large company, not there's anything wrong with large companies. Um, It just wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like being at the point I was in my life, a little bit younger, that I wanted to do something a little more exciting, something that had a little more risk
0: or an element of risk. So obviously, you know, for, you know, as a person that's uh, observing this, um, I'm seeing that you know, making that transition, you probably had to give up some comforts. You probably had to give up something to go from a large global company, whether it's, you know, revenue, whether it's perks, uh, to getting into the ground. Um, So for companies that are, you know, for startup companies that are looking to attract talent like yourself, uh, how what would you recommend that they look for or what would you recommend that they uh, present to people that are, Maybe in the same situation you were years ago and looking to make the choice between staying at a large multinational or a large corporation to going in the venture route or the startup route. Um, how did they, being lighter capital, how did they communicate with you to, to make you jump from a large company to uh, Oh, to in start? terms of um, convincing them why? this is a good opportunity or well more more like you know convincing you as a as an employee to, to move to a startup mm-hmm. right because i think one of the i think one of the challenges that startups face is acquiring talent right especially when they're competing with larger companies so mm-hmm. you made a, a switch from a large company to a startup and you took risks mm-hmm. you gave up i'm guessing you gave up perks and mm-hmm. uh you know, benefits, uh, whether they're compensation, whether they're, uh, vacations, whatever they may be, expense accounts. So how did these, how did the, uh, what was the formula that led you to make that jump outside of the, the your, your own risk? Uh, yeah. Um, I think
1: the idea of building something new and doing something new, mm-hmm. um, that appeals or resonates with a lot of people. Okay. Um, the idea that you can wear many different hats and you can be an integral part of the company's success, right? Awesome. If you're not pulling your weight, right? The, the company is going to struggle, yeah. right? And you're going to feel
0: that quickly too.
1: Absolutely. But yeah. if you're at a company of 300,000 people, not so much. Right? Yeah. Um, so, and that's something we always kind of look for in the interview process, right? Someone that wants that, they want to do something different. They want to yeah. create something
0: new. Well, I, I believe that that is a very important thing to look for because the aspect of creation is very appealing to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see that being a value conversation to folks like you uh, that are maybe comfortable where they were, but they don't have the opportunity to create as much as they want. So mm-hmm. that's really cool. So, so John, what's your most treasured possession? It's um, a tough one. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, actually, kind of going back to earlier, what we were talking about, at my my place, my combo, I have um, these two pictures, and they're actually the um, from the original apple crates that my family had for the apple orchard they had in um, Eastern Washington. So i framed and kind of on my kitchen.
0: Um, so Those kind of a cool thing to show people when you have people over, right? It's kind of a piece of family history. That's amazing. So we didn't talk too much. We didn't really get into the the family orchard uh, apples, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know what kind of apples they grew? I think it's different priorities Okay, there, right? Yeah, there's like three or four, and they they grow in Eastern Washington. So. Okay. And um, what about um, at harvest? Did they uh, just take them to market? Did they turn them into cider, hard cider? Yeah,
1: I don't know too much about that. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know what
0: the process looked like to bring them to market.
1: I do I do know there's a funny story about my grandparents meeting okay. in an apple orchard. So it was my grandmother, it was her family's apple orchard. And um, there was this young man that was working in the apple orchard. And she was working there at the same time because it's her family's apple orchard. And this young man decided to hold the ladder for this oh, for this young lady as she was climbing nice. up to uh, uh, pick apples <laughs> and uh, I think it was shortly
0: after that they were married so. <laughs> good story yeah I'm very gentlemanly, gentlemanly <laughs> like uh, uh, that's interesting have you ever been back
1: have you ever visited the orchard you know I haven't um, okay. I have some family members that have been back though
0: so alright maybe a trip coming up yeah, start, yeah maybe. Know, a little yeah. weekend getaway huh. um all right well what's your favorite journey so far in your life um a trip an experience uh, a challenge you overcame
1: yeah um journey um so i speak german i said german in high school and college and i studied abroad once in high school and once in college and that was a really uh, rewarding experience just living abroad and living in a foreign culture and
0: living in a foreign language um, I understand yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a person who has uh, also immigrated I, I completely uh, agree that there's a lot of um, excitement that comes from being in a foreign culture and understanding and learning mm-hmm. the language, learning the customs how did you pick German? Um, so my cousins
1: uh-huh. so my uncle's kids um, also studied German my brother studied German um, he did an exchange program in high school, so might as well. It felt natural. To yeah. Study yeah absolutely. Um, also it was just very interesting, you know, history, politics, economics, mm-hmm. um, and my high school actually had a really strong German program, mm-hmm. which is pretty unique because a lot of high schools, they don't teach German anymore, right? They teach Spanish, Spanish, French, right. Chinese, yep. right? Um, kind of the more, uh, shall we say, popular or Mm -hmm. kind of relevant languages
0: these days. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. So English being a Germanic language, did did it feel comfortable, you know, when you started taking your first lesson, did it feel comfortable? Yeah, so um, there
1: are certainly a lot of similarities between the two languages. Um, A lot of the root words are very similar. Um, So you can easily pick up the vocabulary, um, but the language structure is very complex. It's actually one of the hardest languages to learn, or of uh, European languages, regarded as one of the hardest
0: just because of the grammatic structure. Oh wow, oh. okay. And and so you went to, you studied abroad in high school and you studied abroad in, in college. What was the first study abroad uh, experience like? Were you with a host family? Did you move there with your family, with your parents? Yeah, so high school was a host family. Uh,
1: program where I had someone living with me and then I went and lived there with, with him and his family. so it's a direct exchange program I'm still close and in contact with that individual so nice
0: where uh, where in Germany was it? Hamburg, Germany Oh, so cool the suburbs of Hamburg. And uh, so for those that do not are not familiar with Hamburg what's it like uh, what's the city like what's the area? Um, what was it like living there? Yeah
1: um, so Hamburg is actually very similar to Seattle in a lot of ways. A lot of similarities, Hmm. um, port city, um, on the water, um, similar kind of economy, um, historically, right. Fishing was really important. Hmm. Now it's, um, you know, trade, shipping, kind of marine logistics, um, and then finance and those sort of industries.
0: Very cool. What was it like being a high school kid in Germany? Were you like the the cool foreigner that everybody wanted wanted to hang out with? Um. Um, Was it something else? Somewhat. I mean, I you didn't
1: really think of it at the time, like that, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, definitely a good experience. I always recommend to any college student if they have the opportunity to study abroad, um, they should.
0: Did it help you? Did it help you um, uh, get more fl- like comfortable with the language? Did it help you kind of immerse yourself faster living abroad and studying while you're studying German? Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: yeah, and I think you actually grow a lot as an individual from an experience like that. Um, you put yourself in a lot of uncomfortable situations, as you know. You know, immigrating, coming here, right? Yeah. And your different culture, different language, and you you grow as a person, right?
0: You you find ways to feel comfortable in very
1: uncomfortable situations.
0: So when you went back in college, so the high school was your first time. When you went back to, for your college study abroad session. Um, I'm guessing you were at a drinking age at that point.
1: Uh,
0: yes. (laughs)
1: Although they're, um, not really it's not really a drinking age per se there. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think it was a drinking age actually both times technically. Yeah. Um,
0: okay. So did it feel comfortable being back there? Did it, was it in Hamburg that you went back? Uh,
1: no, it was in Southwestern Germany. Um,
0: it's a different area.
1: Yeah. In the state of Baden-Württemberg. It's right on the border of France and Switzerland.
0: And uh, there's
1: an old town called Freiburg.
0: Freiburg. Mm -hmm. So, okay, tell me about Freiburg. Uh, So we talked about Hamburg being Mm -hmm. a fishing, um, shipping, finance, you know, hub. Logistics. 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 What's uh, Freiburg like? Uh, Freiburg
1: is the sunniest city in Germany, <laughs> Okay, just not saying too much, um, and it is has a major university there called the University of Freiburg, um, it's probably about 30,000, 40,000 students there, um, pretty similar size kind of University of Washington, but the actual city of Freiburg is about 200,000, so the percentage of the student population is very large. Mm. Um, and it's right in the middle of the black forest. So smack down in the black forest. Okay. Beautiful.
0: Did you do any hiking out there? When you were yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Did yeah, you, hiking. did
0: you have a spot like the mailbox peak that you went back? back in, uh, back yeah, into? there
1: are these little German, um, villages we'd hike out to. Okay. Um, some of my other American friends in the program and some of our international friends and we'd hike out there and, you know, you'd be in this tiny little German village and, Uh, You know, these people are like, wait,
0: why is an American here? And why do they (laughs) speak German? um, They're very confused. (laughs) Did you have to explain to them? You were like, hey, I'm in in school. I'm going to school here. Yeah, I think at some point they thought we were Dutch. (laughs) Because our German was good enough. Nice. Now, I've heard a story that um, some some towns in Germany have schnapps um, that they make. and, And they may just leave... Like on the side of the road or something okay. uh, for people to drink and, you know, honor system pay if they, if they do drink. Is that, did you experience that at all? Uh,
1: I do like shops. Okay. I don't know if okay. I, I never had the,
0: uh, the ability to experience that. At all. Oh, it okay. sounds like a fun thing. So <laughs> I, I would have <laughs> probably had some if I came across it. So I would agree. Yeah. sounds like a great little after hike, um, uh, uh, treat. So, okay. Um, what, so obviously, you know, being in Germany um, as a student, both in um, younger as well as a little bit, you know, older age, mm-hmm. uh, as a college student, you probably have two different experiences or similar but, but yet different experiences. What is the one take or more takeaways that you got outside of the personal growth that comes, which I think is very important for uh, our listeners to? To be aware that there is a, a, an opportunity from travel an opportunity from being abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, was there a, any other takeaways that you got from being there as a student, uh, both of those times or one of those times? Um, I think you realize how,
1: um, similar people are even if they're of different cultures or countries, right? Or they speak a different language, right? Um, there's a lot of cultural similarities. Mm-hmm. And the way people I'd think, um, especially with Europe, right, compared to the U.S. Because obviously
0: a lot of American values is inspired by European culture. Yeah, absolutely. So here's a, here's a tough question for you. Mm-hmm. What or who is the greatest love in your life? That's a big question. I understand. So you don't have to answer. We can just totally edit it out. But um, I don't know even if I know okay, I can answer that. Uh, well, I would, I'd probably have to say my wife. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Um, um, I have an amazing girlfriend right now. I'm very fortunate. Um, who's new to Seattle, moved here uh, in, from Texas, um, went to school in New Orleans at Tulane, um, uh, moved here in July. So she's an amazing woman. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she's an intellectual, right? Um, yeah. yeah. PhD has a really fascinating job with the Seattle fire department. Um, well actually works for E-Dub, but on behalf of the Seattle fire department, um, managing and analyzing, um, The paramedic data, Hmm. EMS um, data that's produced by Seattle Fire Department. Cool. Um, Actually, the fire system or the paramedic system in Seattle is one of the best in the world.
0: Oh, okay. Yep.
1: You have a much higher likelihood to survive a heart attack here than anywhere else. Hmm. Um, It's partially because the firefighters are all trained paramedics. Um, They're highly qualified, educated, paid well, all college educated. Um, and they integrate a lot of data too. Um, anyways, she's amazing. Um, <laughs> I would also say my mother too, of course, um, also an amazing woman. Um, taught me a lot in my life
0: about interacting with people and how to treat people. That's amazing. What, um, what is your mom's background? Is she, she's a third, um, generation Seattleite, uh, Washingtonian. Yep. Uh, what
1: uh what is her background? Um she she was actually born in Canada technically. Okay. And my my father or my grandfather, so her father, was a minister. Wow. Yeah. So he had a church in Vancouver, outside of Vancouver, British Columbia. Um and then he moved to Idaho hmm. where they started a farm and it was a farm that went and you know, the business fell apart wow. um, then mm. they moved back to seattle and very poor he started another church um, which is now a mexican restaurant <laughs> funny. um kind of the north ballard area that area um mm. and he had a church he was a minister and to make ends meet he had these different kind of side hustles and jobs okay um, so a hardworking work, person. Very hardworking person. Yeah. Um, and one of the things he did actually um, in the 1970s, there was a very severe recession in Seattle. Um, so Boeing was a large part of the Seattle economy then. And I heard somewhere like indirectly and indirectly at that time, Boeing accounted for, I'll have to check the stats on this, it was like one out of every four or five jobs in Seattle. And there was a major correction in the aerospace industry at that time. So as a result, there was a, and there was a deep, there was a recession across the nation, but it was especially bad in Seattle. And there was a sign on the freeway on I-5 that said, um, well, the last person who leaves Seattle, please turn off the lights. I
0: think I've heard of this.
1: Yeah. So there are all these abandoned homes throughout Seattle, which now is completely unfathomable, right? Yeah. Um, so he bought all these houses. He would go to these local city county auctions, okay. yeah, and pay like twenty bucks for a house. Oh my goodness, wow! And then he would relocate the house. I think this was also the time when they were extending the freeway through Seattle too, so they had to move these houses to put I five through too or something like that. Um, so he bought these houses and fixed them up, rent them out, and then sold them, and then.
0: For a minister right ended up doing pretty well for himself. Um, yeah, I would expect that. Good for him. Twenty dollars, yeah. being able to buy a house in Seattle for twenty dollars—some yeah. crazy and, number like that. <laughs> I mean, wow. Um, for for our listeners that are not in Seattle, um, medium house price in Seattle is what five fifty six hundred thousand dollars. So yeah, twenty dollars is a steal. <laughs> but it's it's obviously speaks to your entrepreneurial and your pioneering spirit. Uh, you know, again, going back to your history, your personal history, leaving a large established company, which people would find comfort in, and going to a startup to pursue your passion and which is the creation aspect of it. Obviously, it comes from you know, there's a familial uh, transition there uh, from the pioneers to your grandfather who's uh, uh, helping re uh, reestablish housing in Seattle. Uh, that's impressive. That's very impressive. So, here's a question. Um, what is your most marked characteristic? If people were to, you know, point out the most marked characteristic for you, what would that be? I would say people probably say I'm very hardworking. Yeah, I um, can see that from your family history. <laughs>
1: yeah, which I think could be good and, and bad, right? Sometimes you can work too hard and get too focused on what you're doing. You kind of zone everything out else out. Um, so that's where the balance piece becomes really important.
0: Agreed. I think life is, uh, I mean, I, um, I, mentioned to you earlier, I lost a really dear friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, he lived a full life at 67, still, you know, young, but, um, I really brings to light that, uh, it's important to have a balance and enjoy life not just through work, but also through family and friends. So mm-hmm. That is important. Um, so how. You're going back to that balance and, and you know being a working person, do you have systems in place that tries that, that help you uh, manage your, your life in, in a better balance between work, family, friends? Um, I think making
1: time for others, right okay. kind of whether that's friends or family, yeah. and just valuing the importance of those relationships and spending time with people.
0: Okay. So putting that value to the mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. relationships, not just the work aspect of it. Exactly. That's important. That's a uh, that's a very good um, in my opinion, that's a very good way to look at it because I think we, we over sometimes we overvalue one thing over the other and the others lack and mm-hmm. I think it's important to properly value these experiences. Um, so here's here's another one. Where when and where were you the happiest? Uh, I'd say my
1: experience abroad, okay. studying abroad in, in, in college in Germany. Um, just because at that point, right, you didn't have many worries or kind mm-hmm. of stress.
0: Right? Very little responsibilities. Exactly. Enjoying life yeah. and the pursuit. Simpler um, life. You know, it's interesting. So we were talking about simpler life. I've had a couple conversations with some friends of mine that are in Seattle and they're in the tech industry. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we are all pursuing is uh, while we're in the tech industry or the finance industry is that simpler life. And so some of us, uh, some of my friends are out there looking at like buying cabins in the woods mm-hmm. so they can go out and hike uh, or they can, you know, go fishing or skiing. And, and they're all sort of wanting that little piece uh, in the world where they can unplug completely from, from their work and life, like reality sounds like you you have hiking as one of the things mm-hmm. that you enjoy the most is that the way you escape and have you ever thought of you know buying a cabin in the woods and and going out there and- oh yeah absolutely
1: um, i was fortunate to grow up with a couple of different places in my family um where i could go right my um grandmother's my mom's side had a place in Camino island Ooh, beautiful place yeah Beautiful. beautiful. And that's before there, there was much development out there. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of my childhood out there. Nice. Um, my uncle, so it's my father's brother, um, also had a place in, um, Squim. Squim? Oh wow. Yeah.
0: yeah. Squim also is, beautiful. Um, Olympic Peninsula. Yeah. Uh, of Washington State. Gorgeous vistas. Um, it's also in the rain shadow, right? Between Seattle. Uh, so f- folks that are not aware, Seattle is uh, gray and rainy. <laughs> We, we get some rain. Um, so, Squim is an area where you can get away and sort of be in the rain shadow uh, because of the Olympic Peninsula. I'm not sure the way it works, but... Yeah, it's actually the driest place
1: in western Washington. Okay. Um, so, it's beautiful yeah. up there and then um, he also had a place in the Mathow Valley. Um, that I'm not familiar with. Winthrop. Winthrop, okay. Yeah, that area, also very beautiful up there. Awesome. So, so I spent w- a lot of time in all those places.
0: So, what was it like as a kid being in these places, was it, you know, did you go run around the fields? Did you build forts? Uh, definitely a command on a lot of
1: um, fort building right. on the beaches. <laughs> um, cool. Digging for clams. All right. Fishing, that sort of thing. Crabbing. So, crabbing, yeah. All yeah. of
0: them. Nice. Uh, very cool. And uh, do you have a favorite out of all of them? If you were, and that you would go back and buy a piece of property? Uh,
1: hmm. I don't know. It's a tough one. They're all they're all uh, they're all beautiful. Yeah, they're all amazing places. Yeah.
0: Very cool. Um, so here's here's another one. What's your greatest fear? Do you have one? Do you have fear? I mean,
1: um, greatest fear. I think not having that balance, right, um, and having your life kind of go sideways because of that, right? You get so caught up in work
0: or whatever stress you have going
1: on in your life.
0: Yeah. Um, I absolutely agree. I think that is a that is a a situation that we should all watch for, mm-hmm. it's because it, it can easily uh, get sideways, and, and you know whether it's work or something else that, pers- you know, in your pursuit can uh, take away from other things mm-hmm. that are important. So, uh, what about your extravagance? So, I mean, I've, I've known you for a while. You know, you're a very you know I think humble guy. Uh, I don't see you as an extravagant person, but. Is there anything in your life that is an extravagance, uh, like travel, hmm. car? i well,
1: appreciate you uh, saying that. Humble, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I yeah, travel absolutely. Okay. I think that's a great way to spend money, right? If you're going to spend money on something, mm-hmm. um, you know, an experience like that, something you can you can do with someone else, mm-hmm. um, definitely a kind of it's a, uh, you know it's a better way to spend money in my mm-hmm. opinion, right? Um, yeah. better than having a
0: fancy car or whatever. Yeah. So out of the travel, so Germany sounds like it was an incredible journey for you and a place, a destination. What other places have you visited in the world, uh, that, uh, you know, you enjoyed that or, or you would go back to? Uh, I mean, I've done a lot of traveling throughout Europe. Okay. Um,
1: seen a good chunk of Europe and would love to go back and do that. I fortunately have not spent time in Asia and South America, so I'd love to do that. Okay. Um, honestly, i just love to see more of the, um, the United States in mean, such a big country, so many amazing places to go.
0: Have you um, thought of how to do that? Like a lot, I've seen people uh, purchase these uh, sprinter vans and they mm-hmm. turn them into a camper uh, and they do it that way. Um, others... Drive and use Airbnb or different things? Have, have you given it any considerations through how you would travel through America and see? It?
1: Yeah. um Yeah, I think it would be an amazing opportunity if you're in between jobs, or mm-hmm. you have the ability to take some time off. Yeah. Um, if you could do some sort of backpacking trip, right? Oh, nice. Um, like the Pacific Crest Trail, right? You know, you can hike that in six months or however long it
0: takes. I think that would be mm-hmm. an amazing opportunity. Very cool. So I have a, a friend of mine who's a was a car collector. He, uh, him, and his wife collect uh, classic Porsches. Mm-hmm. So we're talking like pre nine eleven. So three fifty six Porsche three fifty six, gorgeous cars. Don't own one, but they're beautiful to look at. Um, so him and his wife are actually taking a like pre World War two Porsche three fifty six and driving around the United States, and mm-hmm. they're they're that's their way to explore the, the U S classic cool car mm-hmm. and driving from one side of the u.s to the other um i don't know if you've ever driven in one of these things uh but it is it is an old car <laughs> so right. it's not a very you know it's not a very comfortable it doesn't have the creature comforts that we're used to with modern cars uh shocks uh work differently brakes work differently there may or may not be a seat i don't know <laughs> Um, so it's a pretty rugged way to go and, um, they love cars, they love driving. And, um, while that is one way to see the United States. I don't think I could do it. I think for me, I would need to have a little bit more comfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your suggestion of backpacking, that's, that's even less comfort than the Porsche. <laughs> True. Um, that's pretty impressive. Uh, so have you, have you done much backpacking? Uh, a little bit. I mean, okay. I do a lot of hiking.
1: Love to do more backpacking in the area, though. Hoping to do some trips uh, this summer. Awesome. Okay. Olympics? Uh, Cascades?
0: Mm, I don't know. My,
1: my college friends and I talked about doing a trip. Um haven't mm-hmm. put together yet. Yeah, but cool. Probably the Olympics or the Cascades, yeah.
0: So which which living person do you admire the most right now? Uh, so... Really look up to my
1: uncle. Okay. Um, so this is my father's brother, and he's been very successful in his career professionally. Okay. Very humble man, um, so he had a company locally, Kibble and Insurance Insurance, Play benefits brokerage that he built up and sold. He's um, also an active angel investor in the Seattle community. Um, backed a couple different companies that did really well. Um, one by a little coffee shop named Starbucks. <laughs>
0: Um, I think I've heard of it yeah, I think of her,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, but he is such a down to earth humble guy despite all his success um, hmm. and he's very much so respected for that and that's how people think of him um, and he's just a really great role model for no matter how much success you are and what you do in your life and your career you can still be a very humble individual Yeah, and people really respect that
0: yeah I think you know as a personality trait um, you know being Accessible. I think being a humble person allows you to be accessible, mm-hmm. um, and allows you to have conversations with with all sorts of people. Um, so, I, I can see that being a strength in business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I personally have aspired to uh, be more accessible and and um, you know able to connect with more of the with different personality types. And I think that being a humble person allows uh, for someone to be able to work and, and collaborate and communicate with uh, everyone, so I can see that being a very sh- good strength for, mm-hmm. for your uncle. Um, it's a little. I think it's personally. I think it's a little bit more of an exercise uh, as far as the personality goes. Once you reach that that level of success, whether it's through building a company or making mm-hmm. the right investment and getting that success. Um, staying humble so do you have you ever talked to your uncle about how you know how does that happen for him is it a natural thing or is it a thing that he focuses on to you know maintain or, or strengthen as a character you know I haven't
1: had that particular conversation with him okay. no unfortunately. Mm-hmm.
0: okay so um, let's see what is your greatest regret Hmm. I'll have to get back to you. On. <laughs> okay, good. You don't have one. <laughs> that, that is a good thing. Uh, what about talent? So, uh, you know, we, we look at journeys experiences, um, traveling things that we enjoy doing. What about talent? Have you ever thought of a talent that you'd want to have? Um, whether it's in business or something else? Um,
1: I like to think I'm pretty good with people. I am just building relationships, and I think that served me well in my professional career, and that's a good kind of talent of mine.
0: Okay, okay. What about one that you don't have that you want? Ooh, one I don't have. Like salsa dancing could be a talent. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Sometimes I wish I was a little bit more artistic. Okay not so kind of linear in my thinking right artistic okay yeah so maybe I could be
0: you know a painter or something right do you, so do you enjoy uh, painting sculptures I've really done none of those things but of those I things?
1: think it um, be a great way to kind of balance myself with some of my other skills yeah yeah, yeah.
0: expand your yeah. your skill set okay cool um, what is the quality you most, like in a, in a most like in a woman quality I most like in a woman Yep. And it doesn't have to be like
1: a romantic quad. Like, just, you know. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, I think it's a quality that I like people, right? It's generally okay. just being kind of caring. Okay. Right. And kind of being sympathetic and
0: caring, right? Okay, that's a great quality, by the way. I yep. think it, it just. Whether male or female, right? Okay, so that answers the, the other question. What what other what quality you most like in a man? So I would probably say it's the same thing. Mm. Okay, yeah, I think that's an important quality. Uh, um, what do you most value in your friends? So you sounds like you have friends in your from your time in Germany, uh, your college friends. What do you? What is the trait you most uh, value in them? Uh. I would say the ability
1: to converse and have conversations about different topics, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whether that's politics, economics, right? Sports or, you know, something you're struggling with personally, rather a relationship, right? Um, and just the ability to, to talk about all those different topics with your friends where yeah. it's an
0: intellectual connection and it's a personal connection. Nice. Okay. Uh, which living person do you most admire? I would have to say my uncle, your uncle, okay, because yeah. of his work and just success. Very and, true. Yeah, kind of being very humble and down to earth. Does, does that transfer? Does it transfer in his family uh, as well? Like uh, with with his kids or your know, wife or partner? Yeah, I
1: find he's very approachable. Okay. Um, if I'm struggling with something at work professionally right and I just need a sounding board. A sounding, sounding board. board. Um, he's very willing and able to listen. Okay. So. John, what is your motto? I mean, it sounds somewhat cliche, but I would say kind of work hard, play hard. And maybe sure. it kind of goes back to that balance piece, right? Um, of being kind of full speed in your career and, and, and do everything you need to accomplish, but also making time for friends and
0: family and having that balance. So one of my, I love that motto and I've lived that till about 28. Yeah. I was 20 years old. <laughs> And then I came across a friend of mine who's in Hong Kong, was in Hong Kong at the time, and he was like, he's like, I've got i I've got i am I'm gonna correct you a little bit. And he's like, that's a good motto, but here's a better one, according to him, was play hard, work harder. <laughs> and I'm like, huh? Play hard, work hard. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. So either way, it's just a switch of the, uh, of the content, but mm-hmm. it means a very similar thing. We're, you're trying to accomplish both. Mm-hmm. Uh, So, in in that spirit, uh, I know you have um, achieved the director position, a director position at uh, Lighter Capital. Mm -hmm. So, I want to learn a little bit, our our listeners want to hear more about that. And uh, before we go there, um, can you tell us more about what Lighter Capital is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, Lighter Capital is a fintech or financial technology company, Um, we lend money to tech companies. Some would think of it as a specialty finance company. And letter capital is supposed to be an alternative to venture capital Um, for early stage startups. So call it kind of sub five, 10 million in revenue. Mm -hmm. Mostly software SaaS companies. Um, And these are companies
0: that don't have assets and collateral, right? There's no hardware component, right? So there's no real estate necessarily. There's no, you know, equipment of some sort. Exactly. These are service-based companies to typically. Yeah. Software as a service, right? Yeah. So
1: a bank looks at these and says, well, gee, there's no hardware. There's no collateral. If something goes south, there's nothing to recover, right? So these companies, because of that, um, the only means or way they can finance themselves is through raising equity until they get to a certain stage. Um, there are certain institutions, say Silicon Valley Bank, that do tech lending that requires they be at X revenue level, call it 10 million a year, or they've raised 20 million in venture capital, or some combination of the two. Um, so that's really the market that lighter capital is serving. Um, some would call it kind of an underbanked market, mm-hmm. um, and it's for entrepreneurs that maybe don't want to go the venture capital path. Right? They have bootstrap the business, they have not taken outside capital, or it's only been funded by family and friends. So they don't like the idea of an institutional investor coming in and telling them what to do, changing up the management team, the strategy rate. Right? Um, so it's certainly kind of one um, potential client. Um, the other would be maybe a company that has raised some amount of equity. Um, Call it a seed round, right? So they've done kind of an angel seed round and they want to go out and do a series A. They want to raise money from institutional investors. Um, but they want to get to a higher run rate and higher growth rate before they do that.
0: Because you know- is, What is a run rate and growth rate?
1: Ah, um, run rate, um, just a higher annualized revenue. Okay. Right? So take your current revenue, uh, monthly revenue times that by 12 and that's your run rate, right? Okay. So you're doing 100,000 a month in revenue times that by 12, you're doing 1.2 million a year. Mm-hmm. Um, So the company would say, okay, well, I could raise money right now when I'm doing 1.2 million a year in revenue and I'm growing 50%, but man, if I was doing 5 to 10 million a year in revenue and I was growing 100%, I'm probably going to get much better terms and valuation on that equity raise. So those are the the two kind of use cases for letter capital. Um, As far as kind of the product and the structure of the financing, the best way to think of it is truly a royalty revenue sharing arrangement. Um, So just like an author writes a book and a publisher gets paid back as a percentage of future sales, we're doing the same thing with startup finance. So we provide growth capital to startups, like I said, all B2B, SaaS, software companies, and they pay us back as a percentage of future monthly revenue until they hit a predefined amount or obligation over a set term. So once those total payments equal up to X amount, that's when the financing is
0: paid off. Hmm. And okay. there's no equity piece on top of it, too, right? So when you mean there's no equity piece on, on top of it, it means that the founder or the the owner, or the operator mm-hmm. of this this business, is not giving up any of the equity in the company to get funding.
1: So Precisely. Okay. Yeah.
0: So they don't have to go out and say, "Well, I'm going to raise five hundred thousand
1: dollars, half a million, but I have to give up you know X percentage, twenty percent of my company," right?
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. um, equity, at the end of the day, especially if the company, you know. Is, is accessible is going to be the most expensive form of capital, right? Mm-hmm. So, a lot of these entrepreneurs recognize that they're maybe better off not going the equity financing path. Yeah. Their business model is maybe not right for equity financing. They have a very kind of vertical focused solution. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they don't have the right growth rate for it, or they're better off just
0: outright kind of delaying that equity race. So, um, when a company gives up equity, Mm-hmm. to a venture company, right, a venture funding company, and it sounds like they're also giving up the opportunity to to have a say, right, mm-hmm. maybe potentially, so a founder of a technology company is probably going to want, it's probably going to have a difficult, maybe he's going to have a difficult time giving up some of that um, directional uh, choice in his, the way he or she runs his, mm-hmm. their business. So. Uh, so the value proposition for a line of capital sounds like is, hey, retain control, get funding access. Mm-hmm. Now you guys have, I was um, doing a little research and it sounds like you guys have a way to do a evaluation of the companies, right? So when somebody applies for a line of credit or a loan, mm-hmm. um, you guys have a, a way to have, uh, establish some kind of a criteria of valuation on, on the company. How do you do that? It- yeah. I mean, it's a credit underwriting process, right?
1: Um just like you're a banker, right? You put something through credit underwriting, mm-hmm. obviously you're on the relationship side and I'm on the relationship side. So you work with someone on the credit underwriting process mm-hmm. um in parallel, right? Um so for for me or whoever's in my position, it's about understanding those that kind of credit box and kind of those underwriting requirements mm-hmm.
0: and where the company fits. Um but you guys created those. So there's no industry standard because mm-hmm. there's no industry. I mean, you guys are one of very few people, uh, few entities in the country that that does this types of this type of financing. So, you've created your own underwriting criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, you've you've created a risk management aspect of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess the question is. Uh, When you start engaging with the conversation with one of the entrepreneurs, uh, you know, what kind of transparency? Is there any transparency to the entrepreneur of of, uh, being able to share that risk rating or credit rating that they may have within your portfolio? Yeah, I would say um,
1: for this industry, we're very kind of transparent. Um, The early stage funding market generally doesn't have a good reputation in terms of how entrepreneurs are treated whether that's a venture capitalist or an angel investor or a growth equity firm, right? Um, So that sort of transparency um, is is a very important part of our company.
0: Tell us about the history of uh, Lighter Capital. How how did it start? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the company was formally founded in 2010. Pretty
1: interesting story behind it. Um, there's a gentleman locally in the Seattle business community by the name of uh, Andy Sack. is very well known, very um, pseudo entrepreneur, um, active angel investor in Seattle, um, ran um, Techstar Seattle, Founders Co-op, those groups. And he started experimenting with different funding models for companies that were coming through Founders Co-op and started playing with this kind of royalty revenue sharing idea, right? Here's a concept that exists in other industries right? Like pharmaceutical, oil, gas, right? Publishing. Um, so started experimenting that with companies that were coming through these firms Started thinking there's got to be a better way to fund these early stage software companies, right? Um, it was pretty successful. Had a couple um, deals that worked out and he started at the same time talking to another gentleman locally by the name of uh, Eric Benson, who is a uh, general partner at Voyager Capital is one of our main investors and Eric read a unpublished academic white paper from uh, Clayton Christensen. who was one of his professors at Harvard business school. For those of you who don't know Clayton Christensen is a very famous Harvard business school professor and, um, author wrote, I, think, I believe it's called the innovators dilemma and some other works, right. And read this paper. And the idea was about applying this royalty revenue, sharing concept to venture And startup technology finance. So somehow, two of them started talking. They thought, gee, this is interesting. This has wings as a business model. Um, So, Voyager Capital um, seeded the company with initial capital. Um, Andy Sack became the founding CEO and um, started building up the company. Um, He unfortunately got cancer, so I had to step back. Um, And the board brought in a replacement CEO. and that's the gentleman who's still running the company by the name of uh, B.J. Lachlan and he came in about 2012, 2013. And so the company went underwent a bit of a restart. They're also experimenting with different um, verticals and industries, right? So they're funding um, specialty foods companies, events companies. They funded a company that makes goat milk ice cream. Mm. I may mean, have tried some of that. Okay, actually. yeah. <laughs> and they also funded some software companies, some SaaS companies. And they thought, okay, well, doesn't really work for these events companies, doesn't really work for these, you know, especially food companies, but this these software companies that have this really interesting repeatable subscription recurring revenue model, they also happen to have very high gross margin with minimal cost of goods sold because they're a software company. And the only cost of goods sold is essentially hosting, which they're hosting their software program on top of. Mm-hmm. Um, so this financing model actually they can afford and it makes sense. Um, so just of through that, they found kind of their quote unquote beachhead market, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really been the focus um, to date. And, and since uh, the new CEO came in, we've been doubling year over year, um, successfully raised a couple different rounds of funding. Um, and I started in 2014. Um, so I was employee number 12. Now we're about 45, almost 15 employees.
0: Wow. Right. Tell, tell, cool. tell us about your work <clears>
1: at <throat> Lighter Capital. What do you do? Yeah. Um, so it was the first kind of sales relationship hire. So, mm-hmm. um, purely focused on originations. Um, so, meeting with companies, talking to companies on the phones, right? Kind of sourcing companies that we want to lend to. Um, and we do have a marketing engine behind the company. So, that's driving a lot of leads, whether that's a, a LinkedIn ad that someone sees, um, which you can make very targeted, or they read about us in a Article in Fortune magazine or Entrepreneur magazine, or you know, they see an ad on Crunchbase or read one of our white papers, right? So you have that stuff coming in, and then kind of actively being out in the community and whatever market you're working on, and
0: meeting companies to just being present. And now you mentioned that you spent some time in the Bay Area helping yeah. the lighter capital company, you know, establish uh, relationships in there. What was your time like? Did you uh, spend a lot of time working with innovators, entrepreneurs? Yeah. Um, so I used to live in the Bay Area
1: too, so um you know just kind of appealed to me to be working in that market and obviously you knew that there was a large collection of of SaaS software companies too, um, down there. Um so I spent a lot of time, you know, working, maybe almost 35, 40 companies we work with down there. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, going to different events, conferences, mm-hmm. you know, dream for Saster, some of these different conferences that these sort of early stage software companies go to um, and then meeting with, you know, investment bankers, commercial bankers, lawyers,
0: um, investors, you know, salary incubators, um, that sort of thing. Very cool. So how do you, how do you, uh, in your work (coughs) in Silicon Valley or in Seattle, how do you manage your time? Like do you have any skills, any tools, any uh, tips on, on how to be a productive uh, individual in, in these different markets. Yeah. Um, I'm big believer in kind of
1: focusing on one task and working through that task until it's fully completed.
0: So no multitasking.
1: Uh I multitask, but <laughs> if my focus is getting through, okay. you know, my inbox, I'll spend the next hour getting through my inbox. And once I'm through my inbox, then I'll move on to, you know, whatever, Calls other, or whatever. whatever activity
0: I have. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. <clears throat> so, what, what's the future of lighter capital uh, look like in the next uh, two to five yeah. years? I know we talked a little bit about this uh, offline, about the changing uh, market uh, with with the Fed re, you know, rebalancing its balance sheet, uh, change in liquidity in the marketplace. What's the future for lighter capital look like?
1: Yeah, within the next couple of months, we'll have some major announcements. We'll be very excited kind of... Um, you know, big news and kind of game changer for for the company. Um so continue to expand our presence. Um, you know, that could be including international expansion too. Um different lending products too. Um so, you know, looking at different markets abroad, that sort of thing. Um so yeah, I think the focus in the next couple of years will continue
0: to build the, the business um and expand the business. Very nice. Now, why why Seattle? Why was this not a Silicon Valley uh, based company? It's interesting.
1: Um, hmm. I, I think it was just kind of by chance of having, okay. you know, these two individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both kind of thinking about this concept at the same time, and somehow had a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. I also think, um, you know, in Silicon Valley, it's about building biggest, most valuable company and raising the most amount of po- most amount of money possible and sometimes burning the most amount of capital possible is what that means too, right? The highest growth rate, right? Um, and with our companies, I would say we're working with more capital efficient companies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are maybe entrepreneurs that don't want to go out and raise a $20 million round and then you know burn a stiff amount of capital. Or um, maybe they don't need to grow 100% year every year, right? Or maybe they want to sell for 10 to a hundred million, but they don't need to be a multi hundred billion dollar company. They don't need to be the quote unquote unicorn. Right. And I think that's within other markets outside of Silicon Valley, there's more of those kinds of entrepreneurs and those kinds of companies. Um, and they recognize, Hey, you know, if that's the sort of business I'm building at 10 to a hundred million dollar company, which is probably more likely the kind of company that we're going to work with um, I'm better off retaining equity. And not diluting myself down, because if I can build a hundred million dollar company and I, as a founding CEO, can retain fifty percent ownership,
0: well, that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So we talk about growth, funding growth, right, through light of capital. Or one of one of the things that uh, um, is talked about within, you know, whether it's uh, graduate studies or or Mm -hmm. different business circles. Is that growth not only lead to uh, a positive scenario, but also a negative scenario, but you grow too fast and, and you uh, potentially implode uh, your company. Has that been an issue for that you've come across in your experience? Growth too fast? Uh,
1: yeah, it can be a challenge culturally okay. for a company. Um, I think often when companies raise a significant amount of money, um, they they're more willing and able to take risks and sometimes that means more mistakes. Okay. Um, so that could be building out their sales team too fast or making the wrong hire yeah. or the wrong strategy or furiously spending money. So mm-hmm. um, that's something you'll, you'll certainly see, right? I've, I've seen companies that um, we've worked with where we funded them and then other funding sources that come in. And they brought in a VP of sales that didn't work out, right? Mm-hmm. Or they had this grand ambition of what they think the company should be. Mm-hmm. And they spent a year spending significant amount of capital. And they didn't really get ROI
0: on it, right? It wasn't capital efficient. Hmm. Interesting. So I, I love that word ROI. Uh, so for those that don't know, ROI is return on investment. And, and so ca- capital efficiency is about deploying the capital to make a return uh which brings me to my next question there's a, a great tv show called silicon valley okay have you seen it uh, i have <laughs> okay
1: uh given the amount of time i've spent in silicon valley and going to silicon valley, various silicon valley events it was a little too much of a parallel to my life so i stopped <laughs> watching it um i found myself at many events
0: for I'm awkwardly standing around people because people are not engaging each other in conversation. <laughs> I don't want to watch the show anymore. So. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I, I'm a big fan of the show. I think I've am caught up to the latest okay. uh, episode. Uh, through through this, for those that haven't watched the show, uh, this young entrepreneur starts uh, out of a garage or a room in somebody's house that he's subleasing. Uh, starts this company, technology company out of chance, right? He mm-hmm. creates an algorithm, and I don't really remember what it does. I know it does something with music compression music algorithm. Compression technology. <laughs> yeah. Compressing the file, yeah. So it's almost like that story of the entrepreneur in a garage, but uh, I gosh, I mean, watching the dynamics that they have to go through as entrepreneurs, as founders, uh, where, whether there was a the large company trying to buy them out, or managing the team and the staff uh, and the dynamics that happen within a tight-knit group of, of uh, colleagues. Um, it's a, I mean, it's an incredible dynamic environment and um, could be appealing to some, mm-hmm. could be scary for others. Um, sounds like you've embraced that environment and you've made it your home for the last few years, four years. Um, somewhat, I
1: mean... I think for uh, every uh, story you read in TechCrunch of a company that successfully sold for a significant amount of money, right, there's stories of companies that have failed. So I think sometimes we, as a society or culture, maybe through this television series and others, right, we have a tendency to kind of glorify that, Mm -hmm. but we don't think of, well, there was that one company that was successful, but nine other companies failed along the way. Mm -hmm. But we only hear about that one company that was successful.
0: So my, my question is, when, when those companies and the owners fail, <clears throat> do they, uh, from from your viewpoint as a, a representative of Lighter Capital in Silicon Valley for, for some time, do you see those entrepreneurs get back on their feet, come up with the next widget or the next service, and they're out there pitching and trying to raise capital for and, and try to establish that business? Or do you see them being swept away from the current. What happens with them?
1: Um, the interesting thing about Silicon Valley is it is very easy for these people to start another company and mm-hmm. to raise more capital to do it because there's so much money floating around, right? Okay. Um, so yeah, I've, I've seen a little bit that those are typically not the sort of companies, entrepreneurs that we're working
0: with. It's yeah, they said more closely held, kind of capital efficient companies. You work more with more established companies that spend spend their their monies wisely and Yeah, more kind of bootstrapped. And we do have companies that are venture backed or have successfully raised venture capital mm-hmm. or have worked with us and then gone on to raise venture capital. Got it. Okay. Um <clears throat> So, John, we're we're coming to the conclusion of our interview, but uh, I I really want to ask a question that I think is uh, very relevant to our listeners and uh, uh, hopefully a younger version of John. If you were to go back in in time, 10 years, 15 years, and give yourself advice of what to do differently, uh, what
1: would that be, if anything? Yeah, I think um, people have a tendency to think there's always going to be a very linear path in life, professionally or personally, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think embracing that now in the 21st century, there is no linear path, right? Mm -hmm. It's quite the opposite, right? So you never know kind of what opportunity is going to come from somebody you meet conversation that you have Mm -hmm. and there's no linear predictable path right you don't go and work at the same company for 30 40 years anymore right that's just not the model right that was their parents generation Mm -hmm. um so i think once you can accept that um i think you kind of alleviate a lot of the anxiety that people
0: have about getting their career their career started okay okay what about um any suggestions to your younger self like what what if you were to look back at john and say hey John, you should you should do this and not do that. What would the things be? Um, get experience
1: in whatever field you want to be. Try different things. You know, have internships. Um, meet people, network, form form connections. Um, you're probably not going to get your job through an online application or LinkedIn, right? It's going to be It's going to be the third-degree connection that gives you the job, right? So not the person you directly know.
0: It's someone that they know. Very cool. John, thank you for coming to Sound Conversations Podcast, spending your time, and sharing your wisdom with our listeners. We really appreciate it. I've been a rich man, and I have been a poor man, and I choose rich every f***ing time. Don't be one of those people 20 years from now are going to be walking around in a 9-to-5 job miserable and angry and bitter. Sound Conversations. Ladies and gents, Chris Julametti here. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I wanted to take a moment to share with you that you can now find us on Facebook and Instagram, under Sound Conversations Podcast. We have launched the social media pages as a way to create a channel to connect with you and hear your suggestions, comments, and ideas for future episodes. This is also an opportunity for you to get behind-the-scenes pictures and footage of your favorite episodes, plus access bonus content. So please take a moment, look us up on Facebook or Instagram under Sound Conversations Podcast. Sound Conversations.